gospel is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But Jesus never actually said that, not in so many words anyway. And when Jesus proclaimed the gospel, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. The nearness of the kingdom of God, the realm where God's purposes are fully realized, the assertion that Jesus is king over all, that is the gospel. In other words, things are being set right, although there are days, weeks, years where it doesn't feel like that. Things are being set right, and we can begin living according to that reality, according to God's vision of the world right now. In order for that to be true, God provided a way for us to be in right relationship with him. So it is true that God loves us and has a wonderful plan for our lives. That's the O part of the Q on the eye chart. But more importantly, God has a wonderful plan for the whole cosmos. And we get to be a witness to it and take on God's purposes as our own and enjoy many of the benefits of the kingdom of God even now while we wait for Jesus to bring the kingdom of God in all of its fullness to the world. The kingdom of God is a little line on the cube that completes the picture. So I was telling Daryl that the kingdom of God had become an important filter for me when trying to understand scripture, and he said that maybe you should preach on one of the kingdom parables. And Daryl's advice to me seemed wise. Sometimes the Holy Spirit sounds a lot like Daryl. So I began looking for a kingdom parable to share with you, to the, uh, with you today, and I found this little gem that Catherine read for us, tucked away near the end of Matthew 13. Two little verses that I just about forgotten in the Bible at all. And I'm going to read them again. Have you understood all these things, Jesus asked? Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law has, who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Well, it turns out that these two little verses are themselves a treasure. So let's take a look at them. First of all, a little bit of background. The phrase kingdom of heaven is equivalent in meaning to kingdom of God. So I use those interchangeably. Uh, the different gospels choose one or the other. Matthew was Jewish and was probably writing primarily to Jews. And Jews had such an ingrained reverence for the name of God that they were reluctant to use it. So Matthew says kingdom of heaven, where other gospel writers might have said kingdom of God. But it means the same thing. Secondly, Jesus asked his disciples, have you understood all these things? Well, I kind of came in the middle here. What things are we talking about? So earlier in chapter 13, this is a long chapter, Jesus has actually told seven parables. First, by the lake, he tells a crowd the parable of the sower, the parable of the weeds, the parable of the mustard seed, and the parable of the leaves. I'm not going to recount them for you. Here, I presume that you have some familiarity with them, but if not, go back and read the entire chapter, Matthew 13, and catch yourself up after, you know, later today or something. Then to the smaller group of disciples, he explains some of the parables and tells more. The parable of the hidden treasure, the parable of the pearl, and the parable of the net. And immediately he asks his disciples, after saying seven parables to them, have you understood all these things? Have you understood these parables? Have you, uh, do you get the implications of what I'm telling you? All seven of the parables are about the kingdom of God. The first is about what happens when someone hears about the kingdom of God. 
and all the rest compare the kingdom of God to something from everyday, ordinary life that the disciples could presumably understand. And they say, yes, we understand. Did they? Did they really understand? The disciples are pretty notorious for misunderstanding much of what Jesus is trying to teach them until much later. Until after they, they see what's really happening in Jesus' life. A note of this verse in my uh, study Bible had this rather droll comment. Probably an overstatement by the disciples. <laughs> Just two chapters later. And, well, let's face it. We do that too. We have some new epiphany about scripture or God or the universe or something. And we think, oh, I finally got it. I got it now. And it feels like that. At, in that moment, it feels like we got it. And then a few minutes later, we're like, oh, there's more. I don't have the cue yet. So, did they understand? Two chapters later in Matthew 15, the disciples asked Jesus to explain another parable, and he says, Are you still so dull? So, they, even then, you know, it continues. They still have these moments where they really they think they get it, and they don't. But he says, have you understood all these things? And they answered, yes. Now, if I were Jesus at this point, I'd want to say, do you really understand? Do you get it? I'm telling you what's really important, what's really happening, and how it really works. Do you get it? But he didn't do that. I guess that's why he's Jesus and I'm not. He took their answer at face value. Whatever understanding they had at that moment was enough for him to go on and say the word, therefore. Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of God, every scribe who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus just called this undereducated, ragtag group of disciples, fishermen, and political zealots and tax collectors. He just called them teachers of the law. This is not a small thing. Another word for teacher of the law is scribe. The scribes in Israel were originally historians, but in the time of Ezra, they became those who read the law and explained it to others. The scribes became teachers of the law. This moment in the history of the Bible, when this order of scribes arose, was a great moment in the history of Israel. They became the preachers, the moral interpreters of their time, the teachers. But as time went on, as you probably know if you've studied the New Testament, all the scribes became more worried about the letter of the law. They forgot that the law was never designed to be an end in itself. It was supposed to point to something greater. The job of these teachers of the law was to point through the law to God purposes. Now Jesus is telling his disciples who say they understand, even though it will soon become clear that their understanding is still muddled, that they are now the ones whose job it is to interpret the kingdom of God to the world. Now can you imagine if you're sitting in your seventh grade math class and the teacher says, do you get it? And you say, yeah, I got it, I got it, I think I got it. And he says, okay, take over, here's the chalk. Do it. When some junior high students would think, yeah, I can, I can do this. I, that actually happened to me once in the class. Once I got frustrated with my class, and I said, okay, you teach it. So one of the kids came up, 
whiteboard marker and started teaching. I was like, he's now a teacher. He teaches elementary school, so it was pathetic, I guess. But imagine that. He's just said, you are going to be the teachers of the law. These people, the disciples, had no standing in society. They were not educated people with a grand future uh, expected of them. So I, I think they must have been, you know, they had, as Jewish men, of course, they had some training in the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, and now they have had training in the kingdom of God through the parables, according to what Jesus says, and therefore that is what makes them teachers of the law of the same order and calling as Ezra. They must have been sitting there listening to Jesus and saying, wait, what? Last week, I was over there mending nets, and now I'm a teacher of the law, I'm a scribe? But yes, Jesus honored them for whatever understanding they had in that moment. And here's our first takeaway. When we study the Bible, when we spend time with Jesus, especially when we study what Jesus had to say about the kingdom of God, and then use that to interpret everything else the Bible says, when we are disciples of the kingdom of heaven, when we follow Jesus and listen to what he has to say and study how he lived his life, we become teachers of the law. It is God's intention that everyone who follows Jesus becomes a scribe, an interpreter of the kingdom of heaven to the world. Some people will be called as preachers and teachers specifically, but every believer will be or should be living out the truth of God's kingdom in such a way that the world can understand what it is and be drawn to its truth and beauty and power. Like I said earlier, I don't know about you, but the more I learn, the, the less I realize I know. How God, how can God use me to be an interpreter of the kingdom before I know everything? And yet it's always been true that the faithful are called to be faithful, even when they don't know everything about faithfulness. You start here. Think of a big map says, you are here. From this point on, with whatever understanding you have, you are an interpreter of the kingdom. When I was between 7th uh, and 8th grade, we moved to a small town in Arizona where my dad would be working. Uh, my dad was in the military, and he was also a pastor wherever he went. So we had friends literally all around the world. So everywhere we went, we found people that my parents knew. And we got invited to have dinner with some friends of my parents. I didn't know them, but they knew them. They were Christians. They had a daughter in high school a few years older than I was. I don't remember her name, but after dinner, the daughter invited me to go on a walk with her. And I didn't know anyone, and I was bored with the adult, the adult conversation. She seemed cool, and I was kind of flattered that she would want to spend time with someone as uncool as I was. I said, sure, let's go for a walk. And before I knew it, we were talking about spiritual things. This was the 1970s. And we heard lots of people in churches and youth groups give these amazing, dramatic testimonies about how God had brought them out of drug addiction or promiscuity or, uh, or whatever. I was telling this young woman that I felt like my testimony was boring because I had never done anything terrible to be rescued from. Why would anyone listen to me? 
And she, in her 17-year-old wisdom, said to me, you know, I'm pretty sure God is proud of all those people who have left behind their lives of addiction or promiscuity or whatever. But I'm also pretty sure that God is proud of you for never getting involved in it in the first place. I hadn't thought about that conversation in decades until I was preparing this sermon. But as I think about it now, I remember that conversation helping me stay the course during my high school and college years. My years of rebellion were pretty tame compared to some people I knew. I believe God brought this young woman into my life at just the right moment to interpret the kingdom of God for me in such a way uh, that I was protected from making some bad choices that I could have made. How much training had she had? Sunday school? Some Sunday sermons? Youth group? Did she understand every kingdom parable that Jesus had taught? Had she gone to Bible school or seminary? No. But she was a disciple of Jesus, and God made her a teacher of the kingdom in my life. So you don't know when those moments will come. We need to be aware of this calling in our life so that we can respond appropriately when the time comes. Proverbs 25 11 says, like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. I love this verse. I've received the truth of this verse from sensitive people who love Jesus. She spoke apples of gold. Who knows what private conversation we will have that will have an impact on somebody's life just because we have begun to understand the kingdom of heaven. And in case you're worried about it, no one will plumb the depths of that. You'll keep learning about that your whole existence. In Acts 4, 13, after a spirit-filled Peter has just proclaimed Jesus in front of the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law in Jerusalem, Scripture tells us that when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And that's the point. Wherever you are, whatever wisdom you have, if you have been with Jesus, if you are in the word and you are following Jesus because you recognize that Jesus is king and you're beginning to grasp the teaching of Jesus about what kind of a world he is calling into existence, God will use whatever limited understanding you have today and make you a teacher of the kingdom. You will grow in your understanding as you continue in your life of kingdom discipleship, but he will not wait until you've got it figured out. Now is the time. So what are these interpreters of the kingdom like? Jesus continues the parable. Every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. The Greek word here that's translated owner of the house doesn't actually translate perfectly well into English from the Greek. The word meant something more like the head of a household or the lord of an estate, or maybe even the ruler or the executive. The owner of a house was always a wealthy person who was responsible for a family and servants and employees and maybe even merchants who worked out of his home. Jesus used this word of himself several times in the Gospels. 
it, it, it's a word that indicates one who has authority. So when he's comparing you, the teachers of the kingdom, to the owner of a house, he's saying you're a person with authority. If you're a disciple of the kingdom of heaven, you are rich and you have important responsibilities. You have authority. At my home church, Shoreline Covenant Church, I'm a regular church member. I'm not on staff there, but because of my training and experience as a pastor and a preacher, I occasionally get asked to do pastoral things. So a few months ago, our associate pastor, Erica Hobb, was really sick and ended up having surgery. So she asked me to um, start the adult Sunday school class for her and introduce our guest speakers as she was home recovering. So I had the privilege of introducing one of my seminary professors and my friend, uh, Dr. John Bangs, as the speaker for our adult Sunday school class. And when I did, I said that I was standing in for Pastor Erica. After church, Erica's husband, Doug, came up to me and said, I'm going to tell you something because for the next minute, I'm the boss of everything and you have to do what I say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he said, you may no longer say that you are standing in for Erica. You are here speaking, even just introducing the speaker. You are here speaking as a minister of the gospel and your authority does not come from Erica. Now, if I may interpret what he said in light of today's passage, I'm pretty sure that what he meant to say was that because he's a disciple of the kingdom of heaven who has been with Jesus, he has Jesus-given authority to tell me that I have Jesus-given authority. And this week I'm here with you because Pastor Dave invited me here. There's a sense in which I'm standing in his place. He literally stands in this place sometimes. Although he moves around a lot, right? <laughs> But he asked me to be here because I am a disciple of the kingdom of heaven who has been with Jesus, and so I have Jesus-given authority to stand here today as an interpreter of the kingdom of heaven for you. And as such, like the owner of an estate, I have a storeroom, and so do you. The Greek word that is translated storeroom means treasure or treasury. A place where you keep your valuable things that you've collected over time through your wise management of everything and everyone in your household. But you don't hoard those things in your treasury. You bring them out. You lavish them on others. You willingly share all that you have. You feed the world with your treasure, and the treasure never runs out. Some time ago, actually here, a, a year or so ago, I preached about how every believer can afford to be a generous giver. The same is true of the kingdom of God. As we follow Jesus and grow in our understanding of his kingdom, we can afford to be lavish givers of treasure from the storeroom of our understanding. And I find that the more I give away what I know, the more God allows me to Something about the act of giving it away increases my understanding. So what is the treasure? As an interpreter of the kingdom, you will bring out of your vast treasury things new and old. It's not a new treasure and an old treasure. It's one treasure made up of old things and new things. Think of the Bible itself. We call its parts the Old Testament and the New Testament. At the time of Jesus, there was no New Testament yet. But there was the covenant recorded in the Hebrew scriptures, what we now call the Old Testament, and the new covenant, which was eventually recorded in the New Testament. It's one story, one treasure. 
The New Testament enlightens us about where the Old Testament was heading. We need the gospel, the news that Jesus is king and putting things right to make full sense of the Old Testament. But the Old Testament is foundational to the New Testament. They work together to tell one story, not two. We have one treasure. We have old and new, one treasure. That was the problem with the scribes, the teachers of the law, who did not become disciples of the kingdom of Jesus. They were locked into the Old Testament without the light of the gospel. The full treasure is given to us. We who study both the Hebrew scriptures and the kingdom of God scriptures. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the ability to sit at the feet of Moses and the ability to sit at the feet of Jesus, things we have understood for a long time and things we have only recently come to understand. The word which makes it possible for us to spend time with Jesus and the spirit promised to us by Jesus. The spirit who opens our eyes to new understanding in every new culture and every new generation. So remember Jesus asks us, have you understood all these things I am teaching you about the kingdom of God? Our answer should be, yes! And we want to understand more. I think there are um, some action steps that need to go together for this to be fully realized in our lives. First of all, the first two are actually really obvious. First, read the Bible. The more time you spend in the Bible, both Old and New Testaments, the more you recognize the voice of Jesus, and the more it can be said of you that you have been with Jesus. Second one, prayer. I'm not talking about prayers for healing or prayers for answers to problems although those prayers do naturally flow out of our understanding of God's kingdom, but I specifically mean pray for the Holy Spirit to open your eyes, your eyes, your uh, ears, your heart, your mind, your soul, to deeper understanding of Jesus' teachings about the kingdom of heaven. Three, not so obvious, teach. According to scripture, the natural outcome of our lives of discipleship is that we will become teachers of the kingdom to the world. Although we're still growing in our understanding, we use whatever understanding of the kingdom we have today and move forward from here. There are a lot of ways this can take shape. So for those of you who are like, I would never stand in front of a group of people with a piece of chalk in my hand, not gonna happen. It's okay, we can teach Sunday school or children's church or vacation Bible school or adult Bible study or public school or whatever. We can be hospital chaplains, or jail chaplains, or pastors, or preachers, or professors. We can live lives that are conformed to Jesus' teachings about the kingdom. Lives that become attractive to others. Lives that teach by example. And by that I don't mean that we have to be perfect in front of other people, but that we become people who model what it means to offer and receive forgiveness. We're going to make mistakes. It's not about covering up or hiding our mistakes. It's about what we do with them in front of other people. Do we own them? Do we accept forgiveness? Do we offer forgiveness to those who are wrong? That speaks volumes about who God is. We can speak of and act from our confidence in the coming fulfillment of the kingdom. We can worship together. 
That is part of how we teach one another. And when people see us getting up on a Sunday morning when we much rather sleep in and come together and be a community of faith together, that is instructive to the world. We can treat one another and strangers and foreigners and widows and orphans and the poor and the homeless as fellow image bearers of God. <coughs> we can speak apples of gold in settings of silver. We can bring old and new things out of our abundant treasury to share with those who need its life and its hope. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus came. Teach it. Let's pray. Oh Jesus, let us be with you. Draw us into your presence. Teach us your kingdom. Fill our treasuries so that we can lavish your treasure on the world in your name. Make us confident in the authority that you give us. Transform us by your truth so we can be powerful interpreters of your kingdom to a world that so desperately needs another way.